Read the Future Conversations is providing this podcast for educational purposes only. Read the Future is a nonpartisan, not for profit. It neither takes any position on any political issue nor endorses any candidates, political parties, or public policy proposals. Reference to any specific product or entity does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by Read the Future. The views expressed by guests are their own, and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. Views and opinions expressed by Read the Future employees are those of the employees and do not necessarily reflect the view of Read the Future or any of its officials. Uh, welcome to uh, Conversations Podcast. Uh, this is uh, Derek Tangap, uh, founder of With the Future. And today we have Mike Mongard. Uh, and for this episode, this is episode of six, in case anybody is wondering. Um, and our guest, Mike Mongard, is the Chief Information Security Officer at Grand Canyon e- Education. Um, in this episode, Mike will be sharing uh, with with our audience a valuable perspective on why cybersecurity doesn't apply only in your professional life, but in everyday life. Uh, Mike, please uh, take it off. I think if I were to introduce you, I would I would probably cut a few things shorter. Uh, you know yourself best. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Derek, and thank you so much for inviting me. Again, I'm Mike Manrod. Uh, CISO for Grand Canyon Education and also adjunct faculty for GCU. Uh, I'm excited to be here. You know, obviously my day job is to you know, secure and protect, but uh, I, my real passion is for educating the next generation of cyber warriors, raising awareness, and then also I participate very actively within the Arizona Cyber Threat Response Alliance or ACTRA, a group of community uh, of public-private information sharing where we all come together and, and hunt threats and share information and work to try to make Arizona safer and more secure. Oh, uh, um, like, wait, take a second there. You are very involved in the community. I think that is something that the audience would like to know more about. Um, but essentially, right before we dive deeper into this podcast, did you mention that you? Uh, what were some of those um, um, involvement um, who that you are part of? Yeah, so I'm a part of ACTRA, which is a community of, of public and private organizations that come together to share information uh, about the threat landscape, about who's attacking Arizona companies and government entities and to work together so that if one organization is attacked, the information on that is shared to all the others. So uh, that that's one of my main passions. And then also, as I mentioned, I teach in the classroom, which is you know definitely one of the joys of my, my work experience. And th- th- that's all amazing, uh, amazing, which now like transitions in- into our one of our first um, 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 topic that I believe can add value to the audience, uh, which goes into cybersecurity by the um, in terms of industry, right? 
um, um, this cyber crime, as as you know, is now a trillion dollar business. Um, every industry needs cybersecurity of strategy. Um, um, whether it's in education, healthcare, um, yeah, just a few industries most affected by digital threats actors you know as i was saying yeah, you have healthcare energy manufacturing higher education government finance and maybe not for not for profit sectors right um as you mentioned your involvement your 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 current post at jcu but also your passion to educate the next generation um would you please um like if you don't mind uh share share a little historical knowledge on really some of those cybersecurity um, 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 threats in, in comparison to industries? Sure, yeah, absolutely. So there's a few things I can kind of go into there. One is, you, you said it perfectly, Derek, no industry is immune. Everybody is getting hit. And large organizations, small organizations, high-tech, low-tech, uh, K through 12 schools, yeah, everybody's getting hit and everybody's having problems, right? Um, so there's obviously some things we can do and we'll get into that in a moment. But I think it's important to remember cybersecurity is a relatively new discipline. You know, if I were to ask you, how long has law been around or how long has business or medicine? Uh, you know, the answer is millennia, right? We know that they've been around for at least millennia. Maybe we don't know further back than that. How long has cybersecurity been around? Well, it builds on some other disciplines that have been around for a while, but it's a relatively new discipline, which makes it the land of opportunity in the sense that uh, you can go to a conference and meet people who invented some of the ideas and technologies we used. You can't go back to, you can't go back and ask Plato what he meant by something in philosophy, but you can go to uh, DEFCON and and ask people questions. So it's kind of fun in that regard. No, and that's a really cool piece what you're mentioning that you can go to some of these events and meet, and meet the founder of of um, the Linus Foundation, for example. You're also talking about really the evolution of the industry is still fairly new, right? From the 90s or from from, from the early 2000s. And, and that also brings us into our first question question where um, in 2020, right, Verizon reported um, uh, they have they founded, uh, was it two, 228 bridges in education, 448 in finance, 521 in healthcare, and 281 in manufacturing, and 146 in realty. Um, as you said, right, no industry is immune. Um, and 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 cyber trade really encompasses um, really a, a cost factor to businesses. Um, and 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 the good news about data breach is that the vast majority of them are preventable. Um, what should stakeholders know about data breach prevention? Yeah, it, it, those stats really are sobering, aren't they? You know, when we think about it. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, so when we look through it, I think one an analogy I like to think of to simplify this is that organizations have to go through an, an evolution of phases if they want to go from zero just starting out to pretty secure. 
right? Nobody gets the absolute, but some organizations have gotten pretty, I'll just call it pretty darn good, right? So the first phase is if you walk into a new organization, they don't have anything, right? Like I've helped many organizations like this, just even in my off hours, go in and give advice, draw out some plans on a napkin and send them on their way to the first step. So you walk into those places, it's basic things like, hey, have they got patching? Have they got firewalls? Have they got antivirus? Do they have strong passwords, right? And you, you know, the foundation ends up being controls. Then once you have controls, and obviously those continue to evolve the entire life cycle, but once you have those controls, then what, what do controls do? They start to tell you things like, whoa, this firewall just told you somebody's attacking, but what are we gonna do about it? So then the next phase of evolution is all about response. And okay, now, we've, now we're seeing all these things happening. What do we do? How do we minimize the blast radius? How do we take what would have been a breach and stop it from being a breach you know, mid stride as the attackers trying to carry out their objectives? And then the final phase of evolution, at least as far as I see it, has to do with governance and risk as an enterprise discipline. So you're doing the right things from a technology perspective. You're responding to the things that go bad. I like to think of that, we've got the Super Bowl coming up. I like to think of it like trying to protect a Super Bowl party from bees, right? Say I'm worried I got somebody coming to my Super Bowl party allergic to bees. And the controls phase is I give people fly swatters. Maybe if I've got a good budget, I give out a couple flamethrowers. And uh, we've got some things that maybe bee netting is like your firewall. And all right, these aren't gonna get in. So that's the controls phase. Then the response phase is maybe I hire some people like, hey, you can have free beer and hot dogs. If you just walk around with fly swatters, you're now part of our security operations or incident response. You walk around with fly swatters and a flamethrower, and if you see a bee, you report it up the chain, you hit the siren, you swat it. So that's kind of the response phase. But now imagine I have a guest that's really, really, really obstinate. And say that guest comes in and instead of bringing like wine and a cheese board, they bring a beehive and they just spike it into the ground like a touchdown football and bees go everywhere. Whoa. <laughs> It doesn't do any good. All good, yeah. Yeah. All those controls don't help. All that response doesn't help. Maybe you'll get lucky and the flamethrower will be in the right place, but man, that's stretching your luck, right? So that's where governance and risk comes down to making sure your business, your entity is making smart decisions overall because you can't just rely on tools and people. Some of it, some of it involves good decision-making. So that's kind of like in terms of how I think of the phases of evolving the maturity of, of enterprise security. And that's, that's, that's really uh, the concrete area that um, most companies tend to ignore, which is the, the catastrophic risks that could come with cybersecurity, but also not having that, um, um, face of of 
um, evolution, right? Really making sure that you know how to respond. And you also said a very critical thing, stopping the attack in mid-track. That way you are not having to deal with 100% um, damage to your infrastructure, but you are but you are dealing with necessarily 20% or 10%. Um, and, 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 and yes, you are still dealing with some degree of damage, but the, but more is recoverable and and which also now transitions into a different lens right where um 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 to redirect the conversation now from uh you you mentioned hiring a response team in your analogy um in terms of the workplace right uh, uh to our personal day-to-day activities what are some of those um components that people can do every day whether it's um as you browse through linkedin or instagram or as you drive to work that can be um a factor and valuable to really preventing cyber related um attacks yeah, I love that question, Derek. And, you know, when you really look at it, it comes down to just like when you go into a company to try to solve their security problems, first you have to understand their business, what they do, who's likely to attack, uh, what their risk profile is. Similarly, the first thing you want to do for your own self is determine your risk profile. Do you have Bitcoin you know, or, or coin wallets with lots of Uh, coin value in them? Do you have bank accounts with lots of money? Are you a public, you know, are you are you a Twitter or Instagram celebrity with millions of followers? You know, maybe somebody wants to exploit that and fake post as you. So I think the first thing to do is determine what you're trying to protect in your life. Or are you one of us regular folk who are just trying to protect all around? You know, nothing too crazy, but we don't want to we won't don't want that bad day to happen in that latter scenario um, or in any of those scenarios there's some things you can do one once you've identified what's important whether it's a social media account with a lot of following whether it's a bank account whether it's your work device regard that with a great deal of sanctity and protection beyond your casual browsing so if you if you have a small fortune and you're close to retirement, have a different laptop that you connect to a different Wi-Fi just for that, that you open up, you don't browse the internet, you don't check email, you just, you open it up, you have your banking websites that you bank from or your coin wallets, you close that up, you unplug it, you put it in a safe until it's the next time to bank. Right, is that worthwhile if you have $1,000 in the bank? No. But is that worthwhile if you have $1 million in the bank? You know, maybe your life savings, your retirement, then yes, it probably is worth having, you know, a little Chromebook or something that you use just for that. Um, similarly, you know, it, it's making sure if you have a high risk activity, like in cybersecurity, a lot of us that do analysis and threat hunting, we're analyzing malware and dangerous things. Well, okay, set up a different system air gapping, VMs, cloud systems, ways of ways of doing those things and isolating browsing activities likely to compromise you. And then multi-factor everything, choose good quality, strong passwords. If that's hard, choose passphrases. Um, but but basically make it so that, that it's not easy to brute force or guess your passwords and get your stuff. And uh, along those lines as well, 
Never reuse passwords, especially over low importance and high importance things. Okay, if you sign up for a bunch of conferences and mailing lists, maybe all those unimportant things, maybe you do a little password reuse, but then, hey, that shouldn't be the same as your bank. Your bank shouldn't be the same as each other. That shouldn't be the same as your social media. So make sure, you know, if you do those things, you know, the basics of good hygiene, um, you're much less likely to have, and obviously it goes without saying, update your software, you know, run antivirus, those kinds of things too. And those are, and those are all very best practices that I believe are really essential. And in the sense that um, you mentioned one critical component that I'm like, wow, maybe I should start doing this too. Having a personal laptop for banking, <laughs> right? Where um, and and as the world becomes more interconnected, digitally, I, I, I think that is an area where you would start seeing, man, like how do I securely bank? And 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 the risk factor of having um, a company be liable for that data for that data protection is really adverse and and it also good to know that some of these toolkits are really essential to really build uh, cybersecurity literacy. Um, and you have mentioned a few terminologies, right? Mal malware um, and 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 the, the connections to to how those terminologies, right, are the core of preventing cybercrime from risk analysis. Um, um, and and now to really go into another um, area that is really prominent into this day into the activities right is disinformation, um, and, and to really add more to what we are already going for right, which is to increase cybersecurity awareness. Um, why not help the audience with becoming aware of the relationship between this information and our own mental faculties, um, identifying some of the psychological drivers of this information. And do you see any um, centrally um, um, linkage or correlation between cyber-related um, attacks and disinformation from a mental sense? Yeah. I it's it's so funny because they really when i think about it they're identical and you know this hit me on a flight back from tel aviv uh, uh it was black friday or the week after black friday i'd gotten some good deals in uh the duty free store black friday specials in tel aviv who'd have thank it who'd have thunk it and uh i was on my way back and i'd been flying all over the world helping with malware problems this was about six seven years ago or something like that. And on the flight back, it occurred to me, wait a minute, this disinformation and, uh, you know, malware are working the same way. You know, on malware, you have a, a problem with a software product, a mistake in the coding, a flaw, a vulnerability. And then you have malware or an exploit is really just a bad idea that exploits that flaw. And if we really link, look at it, software is just a series of ideas. So malware is just bad ideas. So a bad idea exploits a flaw in the software. Maybe it's your Chrome browser or, you know, the, or a piece of software, Adobe Acrobat or something. And then that lets the attacker's code or their ideas run on your system. And their ideas may not be ideas you like. Like maybe they encrypt all your files and ransom them, or maybe they steal your data. 
or who knows what they might do. Maybe they ask for a wire transfer from your browsing session with your bank. And maybe it's not where you want your money to go. So similarly in disinformation, we have vulnerabilities as human beings, but what are our vulnerabilities? Fear, hate, anger, prejudice, bias. Uh, like I have a, I have a great, fear, great fear of snakes, scorpions, and anything venomous. So if you target your disinformation to something that uh, capitalizes in my fear of that, just like malware may exploit your out-of-date Chrome browser, um, a messaging that exploits a fear or bias of a, a, a particular subgroup of people, uh, they'll be vulnerable to that idea. And now all of a sudden, the attacker's ideas, their disinformation are running against my will, just like ransomware would be running on my laptop against my will. So it, I really do see a parallel in, and technologies even, of course, used to distribute and amplify disinformation these days. But I really think uh, there's there's a, a great deal of uh, parallel there on that. And, and this is some really, really good, um, um, I think, comments that you're adding to, right? Where cyber attacks are not really um, um, necessarily, oh, your computer has been um, infected with virus anymore, but cyber attacks have really not evolved. As, as you mentioned from the start, right, the industry is just at its infancy, it's still fairly new and we are already seeing all these new variations of, of, of how um, um, bad actors can leverage um, whether it's your own mental processes or whether it's it's your own cognitive um, 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 understanding of information, right? To exploit it to to do two things, right? When you launch a malware, as you have said, um, bad ideas, right? But I, it can also bring light to a crossover on really how malware um, is sort sort of like cognitive hacking and disinformation behave um um however what what role can ethics play in preventing and combating disinformation associated with cognitive hacking or mal malware as you have mentioned like do you think as we bring more workforce into the industry um there needs to be some sort of um um exposure to ethics and morality to really prevent uh because this information is very sensitive from what i'm learning yeah, so it's a group. It's it's interesting. Um, one one way to look at how to disrupt disinformation that's great, and I created one before I realized Department of Homeland Security had already made a better one. But there is a disinformation kill chain out on the MDM, you know, misinformation, disinformation, malinformation section of Department of Homeland Security's website. It's really good, but it kind of gives you a visual on where you can disrupt the cycle. But there are several phases, right? One is, hey, if we can stop bot accounts, if we can stop uh, attackers from cultivating the infrastructure, the accounts, uh, the, the criminal organizations that, that amplify and spread and per permeate disinformation, that helps. Then all the way back on the host side, us being the host that's vulnerable, 
You know, you know I, I've, I've said when several people ask me in Q&A sessions, what do we do about it? Well, we can all go to counseling. We can all be a little nicer to each other. You know, the more we dial back, you know, the privilege escalation on hacking humans or mental malware is an amygdala hijack. It's a cortisol release. It's that the heart's pumping and uh, blood's coursing through our veins and we're all upset and like, wait, what am I upset about? Is this even my idea I'm upset about? Or is this mental malware, right? So I, th I think there's, there's kind of opposite ends that bookend this of dealing with the, the threat actors and the infrastructure. And if you own an ISP or an internet connected company policing your organization for bots and threat hunting, all the way down to us as individuals and communities, you know, maybe hating a little less, you know, being slower to anger and just working on our own baggage. So we have fewer vulnerabilities, just like we need to patch our, our software running on our, our systems. And and you mentioned it right there, right? Mental malware. And that is really some, a concept that I'm not really familiar about, Uh, can you help the audience become uh, um, more uh, understanding of really some of those terminologies you're using uh, in terms of what is mental malware? And uh, as well as you are coordinating or aligning um, emotional biases, anger, um, the um, amygdala, um, really all this new way of looking at cybersecurity, right? From a psychological viewpoint, um, like, Uh, please, like, like, break it down a little bit where it's it's a little bit more um, understanding or what are some of those, uh, as for example, right, as an everyday person, my day-to-day -day life doesn't really involve all this. Um, so how can I now take action to really protect myself or to really inform others around me to protect themselves from mental malware? Yeah, so dialing back a bit on how it works, There was a time where I think most people related to the human mind as infallible, right? Like your perspective was your perspective and generations of cognitive scientists over the last century, culminating with the seminal work of uh, Amos Tversky and Daniel Kahneman have outlined that actually there's all sorts of flaws and biases. And uh, Daniel Kahneman's phenomenal book, Thinking Fast and Slow goes through this in detail. Dan O'Reilly's book, Predictably Irrational, is an easy approach approachable book to summarize how our minds do not you know, have systemic repeatable flaws and biases. And biases and shortcuts are good. If there's a cheetah in a field and it's about to try to eat me, that is not the time to pause and ponder, right? That's the time to go climb up a tree or jump in the Jeep and drive away. <laughs> yeah. Um, right, right. I mean, so, you are not going up about that. So please, like, so then what biases are really the most effective to really become aware about? Yeah, so availability heuristic is a good one. Like we take the data available to us and don't consider how, how uh, representative it is of how often something happens. A great example of this that's fairly benign is people who are afraid of flying, right? Uh, statistically, we all know that commercial air travel is very, very safe compared to driving. And uh, you'll have people, and we've all met them, who are afraid of flying. And heck, when it hits a little turbulence, I get a little skittish. And uh, I've been on lots, you know, I've done a lot of flying. 
but uh, but that's a very irrational fear um, because obviously more people die in car crashes. Actually, the bacon I had for breakfast is a lot more more likely to kill me than air travel. But I'm not terrified <laughs> of bacon. I love bacon. So, right, right. so uh, that's an example of, but when a plane crashes, we talk about it for many, many years. It's salient. So the availability to us and the saliency of that plane crash, for example, sticks with us. So we're more likely to be afraid when we get a little turbulence on an airliner than we are when we're, you know, maybe driving 10 miles an hour over the speed limit because we're late for work, right? But really, there's a great deal of risk asymmetry. And while it would use all our time to go through, uh, you know, a large number of biases and heuristics, you can begin to get the idea that we have both flaws in our processing that are systemic, and then we also have flaws in our processing based upon our own distinct background and pockets of people that we associate with and culture. Well, mental malware are bad ideas, and I define them as bad just simply as they exploit people to get to, to, to have untrue things believed to be true, to induce actions that would not naturally or normally be the will of the person receiving the mental malware. You know, mental malware are, are a package of ideas designed to exploit. And what an interesting um, analogy, but also an interesting scope into why some of the disinformation that goes that takes effect, you know, you, you looked at some of the highest surges of disinformation campaigns, political election, and then you also look at um, whether it's them infamous um, emails, right, where you are sending, um, hey, look at this, or whether it's uh, robocalls trying to, those are all areas that I'm beginning to realize as, wow, this this uh, really psychologically prone to make me to act a certain way. Um, and, and and as we transition now to a, uh, to a different topic, right, going now into seeing how the correlation between distributed denial of servers or better known as DDoS in, in um, cybersecurity terminologies, as you may be familiar with, um, is, is actually a well-coordinated disinformation campaign to flood broadcasts. Am I right on that front? Or, or is there a, um, a, uh, a system that really sort of like analyzes DDoS from a different angle? Yeah, that is a really cool way of thinking of DDoS, Derek, right? Like, like, it really is. It's a bunch of false requests that aren't actually real, but they take up the attention of the system that is supposed to be responding until it can't respond anymore. And obviously, we have good technologies that help deal with DDoS, but you could look at DDoS as a kind of disinformation in the sense that it's fake requests. Uh, for say a resource from a server, so yeah, that I love that analogy. That's fun. Well, thank you. And to really cap it now, and going more towards into the um, conclusion of this um, amazing episode, right? It's really the workforce area, and to really sort of, sort of I think what critical 
uh, soft skills do you think uh, cybersecurity, um, whether it's penetration testers or whether it's it's um, risk analysis, should really value? Is it a matter of having to have that strong ground in ethics or morality, or should it really just be more about um, becoming more um, um, uh, um, integrated in the um, in the day-to-day understanding of of some of these technologies? You know, I mean, I think uh, there's a great dichotomy because cyber is one of those things that you need both the soft skills and the technical skills. You know, uh, we we say soft skills are important for doctors, but nobody wants an incompetent, friendly surgeon, right? Like, you don't want somebody cutting on you if they're not really, really good, but the soft (laughs) skills are important too. Right. Um, But nobody wants an unethical surgeon either. And quite frankly, if you're dealing with a really concerning illness or something, although it's fun in fiction and on TV shows, nobody wants to be going through a tough time of life or helping a loved one through through a tough time of life and have a physician who does a, uh, is mean or crass. Uh, So similarly, I mean, I feel like ethics, which you touched on, Derek, really are the foundation. Yeah, ethics, principles, values, doing the right thing needs to be the foundation um, because, you know, without it, this is a very dangerous line of work. Uh, Just like you don't want an unethical healthcare worker, you also don't want an unethical cybersecurity practitioner. Um, that is amazing. Like, and, I think, yeah. No, and, no like, uh, yeah. sorry, go, go, go ahead. I, I think you have priority here. No, no, the, sorry. The one other thing I was going to add, though, is once there's a principle of ethics, the next is teamwork and empathy, the ability to work with others and care about others while working with them. Amazing, amazing. I think those are some really um, ethics principles, and and really just doing the right thing, right? Um, can can we really build? I think this is a good um uh, uh, play of words here, a language of firewall. <laughs> but 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 um, moving now uh, into really getting to know more about you, Mike. I think I, I think you have helped the audience uh, become that uh, really um. Um, 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 focus more on some of those areas of cybersecurity that um, the day-to-day understanding of our lives doesn't really um, bring to our um, understanding, right? But now with your episode and, and something that we can now um, um, put a cap on, right? It's more about you, Mike. What are some things that you want you want to share with the world. I think when 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 we say that we mean cybersecurity is a disaster, um, uh, just as damaging as hurricanes can can be. So if you can, um, and 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 the responsibility is not only to companies but to each and every person, right? So if you can help, I'll uh, uh, share your perspectives on the topic that um, that have been remarkably. Um, uh, uh, beneficial to you or what what sort of like as you came about to where you are at now how how would you like the audience to really get to know know why why you're so focused on cyber security well it's funny so i uh i was working in and around technology and in and around cyber security 
And then a buddy of mine uh, was giving a talk at DOPCON quite some time ago and was like, I, I was in grad school asking him some questions. And he was like, hey, tell you what, come with me. I've got a plus one pass as a speaker to DOPCON and uh, you can come along and, uh, and uh, you'll get all the, you know, you'll learn all you need for the rest of grad school and you'll get plenty of resources and tips and things to quote. Well, I came along and looked around and yeah, this was like 10, 12 or so years ago now or something like that and just fell in love with the field, with the people, with the community. But then I also looked around and was just really mortified when it occurred to me how much we rely on technology. And as of that time, how little uh, how little of the discourse and effort and resource pool was being put into protecting that technology. So, I mean, that's really what got me into it. And I knew that was what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. That one weekend, you know, totally changed career direction, took a demotion a little bit later to become a security analyst and did all this stuff. But, you know, I, it's just, you know, really been my passion. So you know, one thing I'll say to everybody, is you know find your passion figure out what it is and follow it figure out what thing that's uniquely important to you that you can change contribute to participate in to make the world a little bit better and then the details of how to make a career out of it you know can be figured out after that but definitely you know don't don't be like that scene out of the incredibles where mr incredibles working in the insurance office and uh, you know, as a claims adjuster, and uh, you know, hating life, you know, never take a job like that, right? Like, figure out what you love, and then figure out a way to make it work with your life. I think, I mean, don't get me wrong, the claim adjuster is also a pretty good gig, if I could um, say that. <laughs> it's a great gig, but it just wasn't the right gig for that particular person. You can tell. <laughs> Understandable, right, right, and and that's that's an area where it was really I think just yelling you take the risk, right, uh, from adjusting, get the demotion, and then on your way to something better. Um, it's a similar story. I hope others can can find in their own lives. And and to really close it off, now, Mike, is really how can people get get in touch with you? Uh, are you on LinkedIn or, or or Twitter? Yeah, so I'm on Twitter and Mastodon at Prude Solutions. Um, you'll notice I make a lot of cartoon references and in, in things. So Crude is in the Crude's uh, movie because I just love the movie, but Crude Solutions. And then LinkedIn, I'm just like slash Manrod. So I'm easy to find there, but yeah, definitely follow, connect. I probably look at Twitter DMs and Mastodon more than I looked at, at LinkedIn messages because there's so many sales messages there. But uh, definitely, definitely happy to connect and engage with anybody who sees LinkedIn, this. And LinkedIn, LinkedIn is is all of is probably mostly just sales messages, and I every now 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 and then get get a huge disconnect from LinkedIn, and I've successfully. Um, like what is the right word? We we go from the social media um, 
ecosystem to where now it's more enjoyable to really just meet people in person and really just get to know them that one-on-one so but mike thank you for uh for volunteering to be on the podcast and i believe what you have shared your the, the perspective right really that curiosity and and just to really close it off with right it's really um how how was literacy or curiosity um you can only choose one of two by the way uh how was how how was literacy or or your own curiosity really been a factor in your life let's see uh curiosity has really i think defined my journey you know all the way through both even before i got into cyber you know just the ability to you know my journey has been very much like wow that's weird i wonder how that works or i wonder why that happens that way so you know i i, I definitely i think there are many different virtues and they all they all have their different place and come together in the symphony of a team working together. But I definitely say curiosity has been one of the more formative ones for me personally. Thank, thank you, Mike. That, 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 it's a wrap for season two. Well, not a wrap for season two, but, but a wrap for episode six. <laughs> well, thank you, Mike, appreciate it. Thank you, Derek, really appreciate it, bye-bye. Read the Future Conversations is providing this podcast for educational purposes only. Read the Future is a nonpartisan, not for profit. It neither takes any position on any political issue nor endorses any candidates, political parties, or public policy proposals. Reference to any specific product or entity does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by Read the Future. The views expressed by guests are their own, and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement to them or any entity they represent. Views and opinions expressed by Read the Future employees are those of the employees and do not necessarily reflect the view of Read the Future or any of its officials.